blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scalpels in Tequila. I am Ayla, and this... And I'm Tamsin. (laughs) (laughs) And this is episode eight, Staring at the Sun. So this episode starts off with a monologue, as they all do. And Meredith says, many people don't know that the human eye has a blind spot in its field of vision. There is a part of the world that we are literally blind to. The problem is sometimes our blind spots shield us from things that really shouldn't be ignored. Sometimes sometimes our blind spots keep uh, <clears throat> sometimes our blind spots keep our lives bright and shiny. When it comes to our blind spots, maybe our brains aren't compensating, maybe they're protecting us. Do you have any voluntary blind spots in your life? I choose not to pay attention to the state of my pantry. My life is easier. I choose to forget to do my taxes. (laughs) I pay other people to do my taxes. Yeah. You know what else is incredibly difficult? Being in a bath with another person. Well, I just can't believe we opened this episode with Derek not listening to Meredith's boundaries again. I can't believe we've only just found out about this majestic fucking bathtub. Where is this in the house? Yeah, this is not the normal bathtub that we see. This is not in the main bathroom. Where the fuck is this bathtub? It's it's beautiful. It's huge. Is Meredith's ensuite the size of her bedroom? Is her ensuite Narnia? I highly doubt. Does she have an? I don't think she has an ensuite of her bedroom. I don't sure. know where this bathtub is. It must be downstairs. I'm pretty sure she's got to have an ensuite. You don't do. Point is, but why when the bathroom is directly opposite her bedroom door? It's the master. True. Mm-hmm. I need a floor plan of this house. Oh my god, so badly do I want a floor plan of this house? There might be one. I'm someone's got to do one before the place burns down. I want to find one. But yeah, this episode opens Derek and Meredith in a bath together, covered in dignity bubbles. But Meredith saying, "Stop this." We were going to take it slow. And and Derek's like, I am taking it slow. I am taking it slow. While he's like grabbing her, caressing her, kissing her ear, kissing her neck. And she's like, seriously, seriously, seriously. She's telling him to stop and he's not. It makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. It makes me really uncomfortable even to talk about. So in, in the bath during this scene, it's Meredith bad. says, We can't start with sex. We started with sex last time and it went badly. We have to take it slow this time. And from now on, I just want to try and be bright and shiny, which becomes kind of her little mantra for this episode. She doesn't want to be all dark and twisty and sad anymore. She wants to be bright and shiny. And she takes that on board and Derek takes that on board. We also see Ellis at the start of this episode. Meredith goes to see her mum. We learn that she hasn't been doing she's so been well. She's getting to eating. eating. She still thinks she's in the OR. Her Alzheimer's seems to be getting a little bit worse. Meredith tries to convince her to have something to eat and she gets screamed at basically and told. We get a, a bit of an insight into what growing up was like for Meredith because Ella says, I don't have time to coddle you. I'm busy. But then a, a certain tall, handsome stranger walks in and Ellis's demeanor entirely changes and she suddenly has time to eat and chat and say hello. Meredith says, you know what, I'm going to go, you should stay. Today is the day. Because it's pretty clear that he's making her mum happy at this moment. And then we get to the hospital and we kind of start our day and Meredith is happy, bright, shiny, and she says there's no more dark and twisty Meredith. This new Meredith, bright and shiny Meredith is here. Today is the day dark and twisty Mare disappears and bright and shiny appears. The sheer intensity of my happiness will make your teeth hurt, but nothing could take the salt off of O'Malley. The sulk is kind of warranted today. I mean, his dad's here in hospital. I was, yeah, just about to say that. He is 100% allowed to be there. Bailey comes in, assigns everyone their cases, and O'Malley is rightfully put on scut because he's probably distracted today. But Bailey does allow O'Malley to choose the intern that is going to work with his dad. Christina is working with Burke. 
Izzy is shadowing Alex today, who has been assigned to Mark McSteeny. And <laughs> Meredith is joining Bailey with Mia Hansen in the ER. Where do we want to start today? Do you want to start with Mia? Yeah, I think Mia is a pretty easy one. Yeah, I think so too. So I quite like that Meredith's monologue this week was mm-hmm. one that was really easy to pick up on. All about the blind spots and no blind spot was easier to see this week than the case of little Miss Mia Hansen. Oh my God, that's so dark. Yeah, it really is. But I remember like this specifically back then being a big deal. I think cars were just getting quite a lot larger and that the family SUV started to really become a thing. And it was like an epidemic of kids getting backed over. Wow. Do you not remember this being a thing? And that's why we have reversing cameras now? I definitely remember the kids being hit in the driveway thing. Definitely. But I didn't realize it was such a big, a big problem. I mean, one is a problem, but I didn't, I didn't like connect the dots. I don't think. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it came around with the the increase in popularities of family SUVs. Look, my work car, so we got a new, at my department at work, got a new work car this season and it's so fucking big. I hate it. I hate it. It's ridiculous. It's so wide. So it has reversing cameras and all that jazz, but they do not help me because I cannot see like how wide this car is. I've already scratched it. I parked on a curb yesterday. Like I cannot, I cannot drive it. Um, for everyone's reference, Tamsin drives an egg. <laughs> she drives this little mint green yeah. egg of a I car and I got into it and I swear to God, my boobs were resting on the steering wheel. My knees were up around my ears and Tamsin is taller than me. I have no idea how you... I fold myself up. I get in. It holds nothing. <laughs> I have a tiny little two-door mint convertible Fiat and I love it. So any car bigger than that is a struggle. But this new car is so stressful. Mm-mm. And my my current work car is a Passat wagon. My The car that I own is a Hyundai i30 wagon and the Passat wagon is a good 60 centimetres longer. It took me so long to figure out the size of it. Are we picking cars right now? We have never talked about cars before and all of a sudden we talk about cars in an episode where it's kind of relevant. Yeah, it is. So we were talking about children being backed over by cars. Yeah, so some ambulances screech their way in and we meet a mother and father. No, we don't. We meet a babysitter who has come in with this little girl and she's saying she's been hit. I hit her with a car, I hit her with a car. And it turns out that, yeah, the babysitter accidentally hit little Mia in the driveway and these parents are blaming everyone but themselves. Mm -hmm. It was the babysitter's fault. It was your fault because you were home. You weren't watching Mia. You never watch Mia. You're always at work. Lots of blame, lots of anger. It's, It's the dad doing a lot of blaming the mother for not being able to watch Mia. Mm-hmm. And the mother is blaming Anna, the babysitter, for not watching Mia. But at the end of the day, Bailey just steps in the middle and says, it's the car's fault. I have an SUV. You have an SUV. They have a blind spot the size of freaking Jupiter. Shut up. But they end up taking little Mia into surgery because I assume her insides are pretty scrambled. And Gray and Bailey have a bit of a chat about being parents. And I think Gray's still probably quite on edge after talking to her mum this morning because she never does well after visiting Alice. No, I think it brings her back to a lot of her childhood trauma and her mum never really being there for her. And what we learn about Mia is that it seems like Mia's relationship is way better with her babysitter than with her own mum and her own dad because the whole time Mia is here, she's asking for the babysitter. Anna. I think she's more of a, a nanny than a babysitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like she's asked to go on. The reason why she was driving the car at all is because the mother had asked her to run out and pick up some milk. But dad seems really resentful of his partner for choosing to go back to work and having to hire a nanny. But my question is if you want someone home to look mm-hmm. after the child, why don't you stay at home 
and look after the child. This whole scene is very, I mean, this whole storyline is very interesting because we have got so much blame going on and no one is actually talking about Mia. Mm -hmm. None of it is about Mia's feelings or what Mia wants. Meredith is is upset during surgery. She's really concerned. She's saying things like they don't even know their kid's blood type. They don't know her favourite song. They don't know her because Meredith has kind of reverted back to remembering what it was like when she was a kid, and I think that's, I think that's how she feels. And then you, she sees a lot of Ellis in, in the mum, yeah, or in both parents. But again, the woman's receiving the blame and being demonised for choosing a career, not by Meredith, which I think is good. Meredith actually says that she understands when people want high-powered careers, but they should also think twice before having kids. And that's where she accidentally hurts Bailey because Bailey's in surgery with her and Bailey, I suppose, is taking offence to what Meredith is saying because, again, we've talked about this with Bailey. It's like this whole mummy watch thing. Bailey has a lot of guilt for working so much. I mean, she gets it. Her partner makes her feel really bad about it. I mean, her colleagues have been making her feel bad about coming back to work. Richard's been making her feel bad about coming back to work. Bailey just gives Meredith this look. Meredith says, sorry. And Bailey says, I should be home with my kid and not at work. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I think more so the point that Meredith is maybe trying to convey and is doing a terrible job at. And we can tell that it's really hitting Bailey hard. Bailey's feeling a lot of guilt in this moment as well. It's a tricky one. You can have both, but you need to want both you can't because Meredith finds out that she was not wanted she's known her entire life that she was not wanted she was had out of trying to make a relationship work and I think that her main concern is that Mia is growing up in a household where she isn't wanted mm-hmm. and sees her mother prioritizing her job over her which I, I don't I don't know if is the case but I completely agree with the sentiment that people shouldn't be forced into having children. If it's a no from you and it's a yes from your partner, then it's a no. No one should settle yeah, um, or compromise on children. It's That's just not a but I just idea. don't think anyone – it's it's just a really tough one to talk about because I, it's, it's so grey. This is such a grey area. There's no one kind of in the right or wrong here apart from the fact that they're just not asking Mia what she wants. That's what, it needs. That's what it comes what down wants. to. Because Mia is constantly asking yeah. for Anna and the mum feels really bad because she wants to be there for her daughter. She obviously cares and loves for her daughter a lot. But the daughter sees comfort in the nanny, who they fire, by the way. I mean, that's the most horrendous part. They take the one thing that Mia feels comfort and the one thing that Mia needs, they just take it away. And Anna must be feeling absolutely horrendous. But, yeah, Grey ends up speaking to the mother. She just kind of lets loose and talks about how her partner is a working dad, but that's not the issue. I love my daughter and I love my job and I am victimised and made to feel terrible because I want to continue doing my job. Yeah, she wants to love both. Mm -hmm. But the dad's not. No one's even questioning the fact that the dad works full-time in his high-pressure role. Well, it's interesting because he's not here. Meredith has this <laughs> chat with the mum in the waiting room where she is doing work, actually. She has a lot of papers and folders and stuff, but she's just waiting she's and working lawyer. in the waiting room. And then the dad's not here for this this part. What ends up happening is post-surgery, Anna's waking up and her parents are at her bedside and her mum starts trying to sing, sing to her. A lullaby. The, I really do feel for the mum in this moment. It's she's she's really upset. She cannot comfort her daughter. She doesn't know how. She's trying to sing this lullaby, but Mia's saying that she got it wrong. It's not right. She's not singing it right. And the girl just keeps saying, I want Anna. I want Anna. Which is hard. They give in eventually and they get Anna back. And that's kind of the end of this, the end of this little story. We see Anna at Mia's bedside singing the lullaby in the way that Mia liked. But this story really is is here for for Meredith and is here for Bailey because it's to shine light into their own blind spots and tie it back into the theme of this episode. Meredith's own blind spots with her mum 
I think it's really hard. Yeah, Bailey's blind spot with Tucker. But I also think it shines a light on a big societal blind spot that we have in that that anything that goes wrong with a child is often blamed on the mother and is no fault is seen mm. in the other parent. It is, yeah, it is really hard because the dad, even though he is kind of around. That's something that I've always had a huge gripe with and a pressure that's unnecessarily put on women and it, it's kind of starting to change a little bit. But still not necessarily men are, you know, when they're looking after their child, it's, oh, you're babysitting today. It's like, no, I'm parenting. It's the language that's used as a whole. It does centre on this idea that the mum doesn't know her kid very well and the nanny does. It is kind of like an Anna versus mum tug of war that's happening over Mia, whereas, yeah, the dad doesn't really get a second look in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Situation. Correct. And he should be demonised just as much for not knowing his child that well. But they never are. Speaking of not knowing your kids very well, we did mention earlier on that O'Malley is on Scut today because he's really distracted because his dad is in the hospital and so are his brothers. <laughs> so we enter into his Mr. O'Malley's hospital room and Callie's in there having a chat and Bailey's in there. And George is just trying to chat to his brothers and sort of explain what's going on. And they're still refusing to, I suppose, acknowledge that he's a doctor. Yeah. Acknowledge that George is a doctor. Acknowledge that acknowledge that George knows things that they don't know or is smart in a different way to them. They it just must be such a part of the way they all grew up, a part of their family that they pick on George. George has been the odd one out. George's little baby George who doesn't know anything. Little Georgie. And it's so patronizing. But uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky one because you can also see it as I mean, and what we look, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but in this moment, it's seen as very patronizing. George is trying to say, like, I am a doctor. Look at me. Like, I'm wearing a white coat. I am a doctor. And George is trying to explain the procedure that they have to do on their dad. And his brothers just won't listen to him. His brothers just keep shutting him down. And we've, we've chatted about this before with them as well. And the way that they treat George and the fact that his brothers feel belittled Mm. by him and he feels belittled by them. But it's quite surprising that after that entire episode that we had focused on this and the resolution that came from it, that this is still sort of going on. And he is trying to be kinder than he was last time. But apparently dad didn't have the heart to heart with his brothers. But Bailey can see like George is just, Obviously, his dad's case is actually pretty interesting. And George wants to be a part of it, but you can't treat your patients. So Bailey does offer him Can't one... treat your family. Can't treat your family. Um, Bailey lets him choose the intern that he wants to work on his dad. It's obviously not going to be Alex. Obviously not going to be. But the surprise call is Christina. He mm. walks into surgery. Christina is operating with Dr. Burke. And sees Christina decannulating a heart all by herself. Why he was allowed to walk into that surgery, I don't fucking know. I know. I think it's more like he, it's it's a matter of time thing for him. He was like, I get to pick my intern. I'm going to pick them now. I have to go find Christina. I need to tell her. I think it's just he's very one-track minded today because mm. I find that weird too. The- but he goes straight in there, kind of bursts straight into straight into this surgery and then goes and finds Christina afterwards. And George's little brain is starting to tick. The cogs are starting to whirl because he remembers that last week when he was out fishing with Burke, he thought he saw his handshake. Mm-hmm. And now that he's seen Christina doing a procedure that is probably way above their heads. Well beyond. His little brain is starting to put some puzzle pieces together. Well, I think that Christina doesn't play along the way she should. They actually all clock this pretty well because they're sitting in our favourite little gurney spot and George tells everyone that Christina was decannulating her heart by herself. She's very 
adamant that she was just assisting Dr. Burke, whereas, and George's clocks it straight away, being modest looks weird on you. If she'd just come out and boasted her head off about this, no one would have given a shit. Yeah, she's trying to keep it really quiet. And George does go and have like a little word, a one-on-one word with her as well. And he says up front, like when Burke and I were fishing, I noticed something like a spasm. And Christina snaps. She's like, don't even say that. That's not funny. Don't, what, like, George, shut up. I think that this situation with Burke really um, does shine a light on the age of our characters and the maturity of them as well. Doing all of these rash things for love, having huge blind spots in your partner, like Meredith completely ignoring the fact that Derek is a gross sexual predator, Mm. Uh, Christina blindly putting her career um, in jeopardy for Dr. Burke. George refusing to acknowledge that Callie is a good person and is trying to be friendly. Mm. Oh, yeah, because we haven't mentioned that George is real upset that Callie is having anything to do with his family today. It's wild because Mm -hmm. last episode George was like, I'm going to make things right with Callie. And then now he's totally flipped on that and he's like, you know, don't you dare speak to my family. Well, he doesn't say it like that. He says, like, you don't need to be speaking to them. You broke up with me. You don't need to go in there. But she worked on George's dad's case. Like, it's almost like she's just being a good doctor. She's actually just doing her job. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like he's blaming her or angry with her because she's the one who told him his dad was in the hospital. Like, this all seems to be coming out of nowhere. He's angry at Callie because. He found out that her and Mark slept together when he was on the fishing trip. Oh, yeah, that's right. But also, not your fucking business, George. And also just talk to her about it, if that's what's making you upset. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure she can explain it. Yeah. Or she can say, yeah, like, mm-hmm. we're over, remember? But I think the biggest cherry on the cake is the fact that Callie gets along with his family. If you remember from a couple of seasons ago, they started to play the car game. Callie's all in for the car game. Dad's away getting tests done. She's just chatting with the brothers. And she picks the 1963 GT Fastback Mustang, also known as Eleanor. And it is definitely one of my favorite cars of all time. And the brother's just like, oh, my God, that's so hot. You're so hot. Because everyone else can see that Callie is ridiculously hot. Except George. She's getting along with his family. She's talking his family's language. She's not patronizing them or talking down to them. She's playing along and she fits in so well. And she's making them all feel comfortable in the hospital. She's making them all feel a bit lighter because it's scary being in hospital. And all of a sudden, you've got this like incredible surgeon hanging out, making them feel special, making them feel like they're safe. No. And George hasn't been doing that. But he yanks her outside. Desvesa says, thank you for helping out with my family, but it's really not necessary. You broke up with me. You don't need to do this. And it's like, dude, how's about a thank you? Or just a, you know, it's, it's, it's just so weird seeing this duality with George. Well, because she's not, her getting along with his family, talking to his family, making them comfortable is not the same as her following George and saying we should be together. Well, it's just weird that he... So he's acting like it is. He gets so mad at this and has absolutely no concept of the fact that she's maybe not doing it for him. She's doing it because these are nice patients that she likes. That's exactly it. But then he turns around and literally the next scene we see him, he's sitting down and trying to have a, a, a one-on-one with his guy, Dr. Burke. Offers Burke that if he's not doing great, that he can talk to George. And Burke's like, everything's fine, I'm fine. But how come he can't show the same interest or compassion to Callie? He's so furious. And I think I think last week on this fishing trip, Burke hit the nail on the head. Burke said, your standards are too high. <laughs> you cannot handle it when one person makes a small mistake. So my cat is like really attacking, really trying to get in the window. He's going, okay, I'm just going to let him in. He's going nuts. Come on. Is it the gremlin? Yeah. He loves jumping in and out of this window. I haven't been outside. It's supposed to be raining today. 
It really shook me this week when someone turned around to me and said, Ayla, it is the middle of November and we are wearing layers and jackets out to dinner. Like I've seen all the Christmas stuff, but it hasn't really felt like that time of year because it's still cold. Normally it's so hot. It's like 30. So I think Burke actually hit the nail on the head last week when they were fishing. And he said to George, your your standards are too high. You can't handle it when one person makes one mistake. And I think that's true. I think that's what's happening. He he puts people on such pedestals that they can't they can't even wobble. Otherwise, they crash to the ground. Fragile masculinity, I think. Yeah, is totally. What it all boils down to, because he comes from a family of hyper masculine men, and what was seen in the early thousands that manhood meant. Mm-hmm. Because you remember the term metrosexual? Almost an insult coming from some people, but it was basically just a term used for any man that showered regularly, used moisturizer and dared to care about fashion or wear the color pink. Just like care about the way they presented in mm-hmm. any way. It was it was demonizing men for getting manicures and getting haircuts and waxing their eyebrows and just, you know doing their own laundry it was really weird but that's sort of where they were leaning to with this because George's brothers are good old boys who hunt and talk about cars and mechanics and and tradesmen whereas George really has no interest in doing any of that was very studious and you know became a doctor so he wasn't a manly man like they were and that was no, he's more intellectual rather than do it, mm-hmm. you know, with get down and dirty. But that was something that was seen as being less manly. But, yeah, George goes and chats to Burke. George is really trying to figure out this Burke hand thing. He's trying to make sure that Christina's the right intern. He's trying to make sure that Burke, who will be doing his dad's surgery, is okay. So he's trying to suss out some stuff with Burke in a really subtle way. And he goes up to Burke and he says, that was a really amazing surgery, the way you let Christina decannulate the heart. And George says, Christina says she didn't do it. And Burke says, maybe she doesn't want to rub it in. She's being modest. And again, like what you said before, it's not, it's weird for Christina. And that's what's, that's what's making George feel uneasy. She's really fucking weird that Yang's not bragging. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the giant red flashing light going off that something's going wrong because he chose George. George chose Christina to work with his father because his father needed a biopsy done. He's seeing Christina all day, acting sheepish, being weird, and specifically not bragging about the fact that she got to do something no one else gets to do. But it's weird that because he isn't able to do the biopsy himself, his brothers are again having a go at him, saying he's not a doctor, mm. constantly disrespecting him in that way. And as they're, because he's just, he's he's trying to do what his dad said. He's trying to reach them at their level and explain what's going on. As he's doing that, Christina comes in and let him know that the biopsy results are abnormal. Christina does this beautiful thing where George can't get the words out, he can't say it because he knows, he fully knows what that means and it's heartbreaking. So Christina does George a little kindness and comes in and stands up for him in front of his brother and father and tells them that he has cancer and the cancer in his esophagus has spread to his stomach and it's stage three. So sad. Mm-hmm. And Christina. Christina is so kind to George this episode as much as she's, yeah, still not telling him the truth, but it's not really her secret to tell in a way. She's really protecting Burke, but she's actually really trying to be there for George at the same time. Because Christina's chatting to, uh, Christina ends up chatting to George's dad and sort of further explaining what's going on. And his dad says, oh, Georgie said you were the best intern in the hospital. And what a thing to hear. Like coming from George, judgmental, snivelly, wormy little Mm -hmm. George. Christina's checking his heart and she's no good at keeping a straight face. I mean, Christina knows she's the best intern, but I think it would still mean a lot to hear that from one of your peers. It's, It's so sweet and you can tell that she feels really touched by it. Until the guy doing the, um, while they're having this really sweet chat, 
and Christine is obviously feeling so touched. George's father is getting a ultrasound. And it makes no sense to me why the ultrasound technician, the person whose entire job and is studied to read ultrasounds, would need the intern to come over and check the screen and fail miserably at keeping a straight face. It is weird, isn't it? But I think that's part of the, I think they always have to check with surgeons. She's not a cardiothoracic surgeon. I know, but you know how sometimes when they're in surgery and when they're with a lot of nurses and something's going wrong, everyone's always like, what do you want to do? What are you going to do? Dr. Yang, tell us what to do. Yeah. Even in those Doctors first- do, but the, the guy with the ultrasound is a doctor, literally a radiologist. But I think I think it's the same thing. I think radiologists- Nope. They are radiologists. They go to the radiologist to get the scans done. But the radiologist doesn't tell you your results. They send the scan back to your doctor and then the doctor tells you your results. I've never gotten results from a surgeon. It's always been from an MD. A doctor, not from the radiologist. You go, you get your radiology thing done, then you have to wait until like a doctor calls you or you go back in. Yeah, right. That's fair. Oh, I forgot that right in the middle of this, Izzy, George and Meredith are having a little chat and Izzy and Meredith get really all about slut-shaming Callie for sleeping with Mark. Why do we hate Callie? Justice. For Callie, mm-hmm. they need to start a girl group. It's so bizarre, isn't it? Girl gang. I want to see Bailey. There is like Addison and Callie all out for drinks. It'd be a hoot. So Christina brings everyone in and lets them know that his aortic valve is leaking and it'll need a replacement. George, immediately in front of the whole family and Christina says, Burke will do it because Burke's the best. And they have this weird little montage where Burke is chasing Christina around the hospital because Christina obviously looks very nervous that George wants Burke to do it. And Burke is, and George is just trying to get her to say the words, no, he can't, to be proven right. He's like testing them, giving Christina and giving Burke so much uh, like pressure and, and staring them down. He wants them to say that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. I wonder what he'll do with that information because if he's got his suspicions, like, and he's seen a few things now, why aren't you talking to the chief? Why aren't you talking to Derek? Why aren't you talking to literally anyone else about this concern? That's what I think too. I there's, I guess there's always the possibility because he doesn't know for sure. But, yeah, you'd still speak up. I think it's important that you speak up. Yeah. Um, and maybe not let your dad be the guinea pig um, or at least try and, you know, I don't know, if if you're gambling on this, why are you gambling with your father's life? We get this other really amazing moment from Callie. Speaking of George's family, just kind of to wrap up George's dad's storyline today, we have Addison, Bailey and Callie in a scene all together. No, they're not out drinking. It's not exactly, you know, the after, after hours hangout that we wanted, but they do have a little moment where they are watching in the gallery and they're having a little bit of a chat because Addison is still wearing Derek's engagement, Derek's engagement ring, Derek and her wedding the, rings. Their wedding rings. Yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of just talking about how it's bad luck. I think Bailey says it's bad juju to wear the wedding rings. And Bailey also talk, has a little moment where she talks about how life moves so quickly. That's kind of the theme of this chat. Addison is talking about how these wedding rings are still on her fingers and it feels so recent, you know, that they were happy and they were together. And Bailey says she left for work yesterday and Tuck's favourite food was strained peas. But by the time she got home from work, it was something completely different. And how, how Tuck's life is moving so fast that she can't keep up because she has shifts that go for 15 hours and he grows up a lot in 15 hours. And then Addison says life moves so fast 
everybody moves on. And that is the line that kind of hits Callie, kicks Callie into gear. She jumps up and she leaves the gallery. And she's so many car puns in this episode. <laughs> totally. Kicks it into gear. Well, she makes it back into into George's dad's room. Even though she's George's, not allowed, George has told her to no. stay away. But she's there right as George is failing to explain exactly what's going on with his father and how serious the situation is because they don't take George seriously. So they don't take anything he says seriously. But Callie knows how well, they don't understand. To talk That's the problem. He's speaking in a language that is just so well above their comprehension. They don't understand all these big medical terms, and that makes sense. And George just will not will not try and explain it any other way. George is like, "You're not listening to me," and he'll just sort of repeat the same thing over and over again. And they're like, "We don't speak, doctor. Like, we don't know what you're talking about." And that's where the frustration between this who's patronizing who because George always mm. feels patronized but he doesn't understand that when he uses all this medical terminology they feel patronized by him and this is where their friction comes from correct but Kelly is the lubrication in this situation <laughs> um and she comes in and explains it in a way the boys understand something something engines gaskets and as she's just saying this, the, <laughs> I just love, I love the brothers. I love so how I. their faces just keep dropping and they turn and look at their dad like a car that's just their favourite car. that's blown a gasket, whatever that means. Apparently it's serious. And they're just, they're so worried about his engine. Well, she explains it in, I don't, I don't totally get it, but it's like there's, yeah, there's bad fuel in there and it goes around all the pipes and it affects all of the parts of the car, but the car mm-hmm. already has, like, blown a gasket gasket somewhere else. So it's like there's so many problems and so many failings because what these boys don't understand is that they found cancer in one area of their dad but he still needs heart surgery and they just can't comprehend how these separate body parts are kind of failing and all it's how how it's all connected why it's all connected why he needs this mm-hmm. surgery when there's a different thing that's wrong like but but Callie talks to them in language that they understand which George is so unable to do he's so unable to communicate with his family and he won't mm-hmm. even try and Callie saves the day and it's a beautiful beautiful scene fuck Callie's the best Callie is the best. Absolutely the best. 100% the best. I even think even if she didn't understand cars to this level, she still would have tried, you know? Well, I think a lot of that comes to experience as being a doctor and we have seen George very capable of doing this. That's true. His family is his blind spot. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's so... He feels so patronised and so threatened and so like the outsider that, yeah, it's his blind, he doesn't know that he, of course he fits in. He's part of the family. Well, because even when he has tried to explain things in different ways, they just tell him that he's not a doctor and they don't listen anyway. I don't think he tries. Mm. He just shuts it down. It's a bit of column A and a bit of column B, to be honest, because, again, there is blind spots. What's really lovely at the end of... At the end of this, basically, obviously, uh, George's family consents to having all these operations, which doing does include a heart surgery, does include some cancer things. A whole bunch of stuff has to happen. And now that they understand, they consent and everything's going to move ahead. There's this little moment at the end where it's just Christina in George's dad's room. And she, as she's walking out, she turns around and she says, George is the best. George is the best in He's a good doctor, a good person. You raised a good person. He is the best intern. And that makes me want to cry. I'm going to cry again thinking about it. That scene is so beautiful. And Christina doesn't have to do that. But Christina has witnessed the way George feels about his family all day. 
And Christina has probably felt really guilty for keeping this big secret from George all day. And it's not a small thing that she does here. This is a huge thing for her to do. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy for somebody to do this. It's so easy for somebody to say something like that. But the, what it means for George's dad is everything. Yeah, because we've seen them struggle to connect in so many ways. As we've said several times, George doesn't speak really nicely with his family. He doesn't treat them very well. And his dad said to him in the past, it's like, all we're trying to do is connect with you. So hearing that, yeah, as much as George may be a tumultuous Mm. little shit around his family, he isn't like that with everyone else. Well, I guess what Christina's also witnessed all day is George really caring for his dad, really trying to make sure that Burke's okay, really, you know, he's he's putting himself in a position to be attacked by Christina, attacked by Burke, but purely to make sure that his dad is going to be okay. And that's a hard thing Mm -hmm. to do. It's hard to pull your friends up on stuff. It's hard to pull your bosses up on stuff. It's hard to question authority, and he is. And he's been doing it all day, and he's been having a really shitty day because of it. Correct. And Christina has just witnessed everything today. Oh, that scene. It's my second favourite scene of this episode. What? All right. What's your fave? My first favourite scene of this episode is Izzy gets assigned to Shadow Alex, who is on McSteamy's service. And Alex and Izzy approach Mark, and the first thing he says is, oh, is it bring the hot blonde to work day? Sexual harassment. (laughs) Sexual harassment. Yes. That is my favourite scene of the day because someone is finally calling out the blatant sexual harassment that is happening in this fucking hospital. It's amazing. I love that the show put this in because we've Mm -hmm. been watching it and screaming at the TV for seasons now, three seasons. Over a year. Over a year. Well, three three years. This is season three. No, we. We. I've been yeah. doing this podcast for a year. Um, and he just gives them laundry to pick up, dry cleaning and a sandwich. Addison sees this and Addison immediately puts him into place. Why would you take a job at a teaching hospital if you weren't going to teach them anything? God, Addison and Callie, honestly. Oh, amazing. These two just are the best. But we get to meet. Mr. Jeffries, and I love him so much. I love to hate him so much. Frank. Frank's getting new pecs. Frank knows what women want. Frank would like a woman's perspective on his pecs. Frank got fake pecs because he is jealous of other men. Mm. Frank sees the signs of discontent and Frank fights back. Frank's girlfriend got a new personal trainer at the gym. Frank feels threatened. Frank is doing something about it. Because the last time Frank had a girlfriend who left him for a man with hair, Frank got plugs too late. I think this storyline is really important. Mm -hmm. I I know we're going to be on the same boat with this, but, you know, a lot of the time the media, we hear a lot about how issues like this affect women. We know that. But it's so rare, have it shown on a TV show, that this affects men too. Mm -hmm. I think it is a little disheartening that the way that this character is written, we're sort of forced to make a joke out of him or see it as funny because what he's doing is really, yeah, it's sad, really drastic and quite scary. Uh, But disclaimer, I don't, if he was doing this for himself, I'm all for it. Go nuts. Absolutely. But he is not doing love, this love for that. himself. He's doing this for other people. Yeah. We're sort of mocking him in a way and looking down on him. And it's, but yeah, as you were saying, there are some really cute. I think they're only mocking the fact that he talks about himself in the third person. They're making the character laughable mm. in general. Um, but I do quite like when he gets Izzy's opinion on his pecs to see how hard they are and it's, Izzy with a hand on either tit just as Mark walks in. It is it is funny. Beautiful. But Frank's actually pretty clued on and he picks up straight away that there's a vibe between Alex oh, and Izzy. yeah. And Alex and Frank have a little one-on-one. He gives Alex 
a bit of advice because Frank is really into grand gestures. Frank knows what the women want. (laughs) Well, he thinks he knows. These women are only leaving him because his self-esteem is so bad. Mm -hmm. And his self-confidence is tanked and he doesn't know how to express his emotions properly. But again, if a man were to properly express their emotions in the early thousands, that would not end well for Frank. Well, around other men, maybe not, but I still think maybe the girls in his life would appreciate it. It was it was certainly, I don't know, it was well and truly mm. demonised back then and it's still quite hard. Like we talk about how Grey's Anatomy shaped us as women and what we felt like we deserved, but this was the portrayal that was given to men as well, that they weren't allowed to talk about their mm. feelings and you and I still know millennial men who grew up with this idea that metrosexuality and being in touch with your feelings and emotions and wanting to take care of yourself was less manly. And we know heaps of men that still struggle to talk about their emotions or feel lesser for wanting to do so. Um, It's why suicide rates in men are still so much higher than in women and men who are in abusive domestic relationships aren't taken seriously when they're not the perpetrator. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think it's, it is really interesting seeing this character, this character. Well, I mean, it's making us talk about it. This character is allowing for conversations like, like this. And also like the fact that men have self-esteem issues, men have body image issues. Men can feel just as inadequate Men can go Mm -hmm. to drastic lengths to try and make themselves feel better or make themselves more appealing to other people. Like we just don't see this this storyline very often. I remember in 2020, well, in 2020, ASOS for their new underwear collection had thick boy models Mm. on the website for the first time. And I remember the internet absolutely losing their shit with all these women being like, oh, my God, yes. You're so beautiful. We love that for you. And all of these thick boys just suddenly post up and be like, oh, my God, I didn't realise that people found this attractive and I shouldn't be as ashamed of myself. And it was really nice seeing that. And things are changing. Like we are getting more inclusive body shapes and sizes, yeah. certainly with women advertising aimed towards women. But for men, it's a bit slower on the uptake. It it is a lot slower and it's a lot slower because, again, men aren't allowed to speak about this stuff, whereas women we have been allowed to and it's been years now and I still think it's slow for us. I still think we are, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're still still taught we have to fit into a mould. We're still taught. I mean, this whole thing about heroin chic coming back is going to absolutely. Oh, I was. I was just about to mention that because I went to the Lost and Found Market in Fitzroy yesterday. It has gone to the dogs. Mm. It's terrible now. But what I noticed is that all of this early thousands Mm -hmm. fashions are back and (laughs) anything that would have survived through to now will be very small sizes. So to be able to fit into the vintage quote-unquote clothing that's in fashion now, you're going to have to get smaller. Yeah. Well, that's what. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. I I thought we were climbing out of this. I thought slowly our brains were getting a bit healthier because we weren't force-fed this image constantly from every media source and now it's coming back. It's horrific. It's terrifying. It's going to, people are going to get really sick. The fact that people are saying let's not let this happen, let's acknowledge it now is helpful. Mm. What I wanted to point out specifically with the episode and sort of the duality of the way that men and women are treated, last episode we had a woman that was hurting herself Mm -hmm. and she was taken to the psych ward because she needed some time and some help. This episode we have a man who is willingly hurting himself and no one is speaking about it. Yeah, but in this context, this is the way, if this was a woman too, getting breast implants, getting any sort of thing like that, for a for man, a man. It would be the same. She wouldn't be taken to the psych ward. It's because it's in this context of 
aesthetic. I think that our characters would have been taking it more seriously. Maybe. We would have spoken to her beforehand and, you know, potentially made her feel better about herself. But Yeah, because, well, there isn't any conversation that's like, are you sure you'd want to do this for someone else? Are you sure you're not doing this for yourself? Which we would probably, yeah, would have got if it was a woman. Rather than coming in after. But. And then if she was like, you know what, actually, I have always wanted to do this for me. It's just having a partner who is accepting of it is making me making it easier for me to reconcile that I want this. Correct. Then it would have been like, great, go girls, get it. Mm-hmm. Um, he does give Alex one bit of advice, and that is grand gestures. Women love a grand mm-hmm. gesture. Now, he's in recovery from the implant surgery, and often there are draining t- drainage tubes involved. Alex grabs Izzy and pulls her into Frank's room and says, all right, glove up. It's time to take the tube out. And his grand gesture is letting Izzy perform a medical procedure. We have full trust in Izzy. We know she can do it. She's not allowed to do it, but she can do it. And after they finish doing it, Izzy is so high. She's exuberant. She's so excited. They're bounding around in Mm. the staircase celebrating with Alex and he grabs her and he kisses her. They're also like when they're exuberant, they're saying cute things to each other. You know, they've been doing this thing where they've been playing all day. They've been talking in the third person. Mm -hmm. Like Izzy is rocking. Alex is great. We're doing like they've been talking about themselves like this. Izzy is like, Izzy is back (laughs) in the game. So they have been. Alex's patient talks about himself in the third person and Alex quite likes it. So does Izzy. Yeah. They've been they've been existing in a happy bubble. They've been existing in a really fun energy all day. And they do have so much chemistry. Meredith is not the bright and shiny person today. Izzy and Alex are our bright and shiny people today. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and Alex does kiss Izzy. And it's a good kiss. It's and a good kiss. And they have so much chemistry. And then she pulls away and she says, Alex, I'm sorry, I I can't. And she really does seem really sorry. And she says, I didn't know you still felt that way about me. And he says, neither Mm. do I. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't shame her. He doesn't make her feel shit. He doesn't say, you led me on, you were flirting with me. He completely takes full responsibility of the fact that he did that. He doesn't try and kiss her again or convince her that she should no. be doing it. Alex is our good guy. This is the this is the like confusing thing of this show is that Alex is portrayed at the very start as the evil spawn. Alex is mm-hmm. treated like he's this bad dude and he definitely he puts up his shield, he puts up his little Alex spikes. He definitely can be mean and nasty, but he is on the inside the good guy. Whereas Derek puts up this facade of I'm so nice and smooth and um, charming when he's a bad guy. It is crazy how different our perception of these men has been, has grown into over the years. We love Alex because, yeah, he can say some dickish stuff, but at least he isn't sexually harassing or assaulting anyone. I I would prefer the guy who's a bit of a dick who who respects people's boundaries I mean, look, first season when he when he when he puts all the photos of Izzy up everywhere. Illegal. Correct. That was not cool. But Alex grows up very quickly. Doesn't step back. And he actually doesn't he doesn't go he grows up and he learns from a lot of his mistakes and he keeps growing. Whereas people like people Derek like Burke. They don't learn. They make the same mistakes over and over and over. They push their agenda over and over and over until they get their own way. Ugh. And Burke is awful as well, constantly gaslighting Christina and holding her career over her is just repugnant. I just, nah. Um, but speaking of Derek and his manipulative, nasty ways that are masked as charmingness. Just quickly before we move on from Alex, Mm-mm. Alex, it's important because I just want to wrap this up because I just think this Al- Alex's storyline today is so important and proves so much about his character because when when Izzy says to him, I didn't know you still felt this way, they are at Joe's bar, they are sitting there having a drink 
Because Alex hasn't made Izzy feel shit about this. They're friends, yeah. Alex says Alex is sorry. Alex is sorry he is such an idiot. Alex takes responsibility and apologises. And I don't even think. For overstepping, yeah. I don't even think he really did overstep, you know. He just, he he tried and and when Izzy said no, he respected that. And it's really nice that he's still, it's really lovely that he's apologising. Izzy is feeling bad as well. I think she's she's feeling sorry that she's not ready, you know. And she says, can Izzy buy Alex a drink? And they're continuing their little, they've moved past the awkwardness and they're still able to continue and have a friendship because Izzy knows that Alex is going to respect these boundaries. Can you imagine if George just had an inch of what Alex has got? My God. Yeah, I love Alex. Mm -hmm. I don't love Derek. Um, this This is a really short one and it's, it's not great. Derek comes into the hospital today and he's bright and he's shiny and the first person he sees is Addison and she is so confused as to why he's being pleasant with her, which fair. It's like what's 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 going on here? What, what are we doing? And he's like, I'm just really happy. We're going to be mature and we're going to peacefully coexist. My back hairs would be standing. I would be on Addison's side to be like, oh, shit, what? She's been in an abusive relationship for the past two years maybe? I mean, he says some really awful things to her in this moment. He does. He says things like, um, like, of course I'm happy. I'm going through a divorce. Normally divorces are supposed to be like unhappy and sad, but I'm so happy. And he also shames her for still wearing the rings. Correct. When Addison is really just there to say, hey, Weber's seems really sad. Richard seems sad as a friend. Can you come with me? I want to talk to him. Can we go as like a united front? Like come with me. But we're me. not a couple anymore. Why would I come with you? Why are you doing? Why? <sighs> he's He's so awful. He's belittling her so much and she's really just trying to be a good friend. And it's almost as if he's sort of holding his pleasantries over her. I can't think of a good way to explain it, but it's it might just be the icky vibe that I get. And I can understand why she's so sheepish and uncomfortable around him because we have seen how quickly he can switch and how nasty he can be and how abusive he can be and manipulative. So her being cautious and concerned about this happy-go-lucky, friendly behaviour and not wanting that to go away purely because the other end of the spectrum is so uncomfortable, it looks like it's stressing you out just thinking about it. It's awful. It just makes me feel so... Poor Addison. I I just want someone to treat her well. She Honestly, she just continually looks out for people. Even when she doesn't need to. No. So they do eventually, Derek agrees. They go and talk to the chief and they are trying to find out why he's so sad. They know he hasn't been seeing Adele and he admits to them while they're kind of bickering in front of him. Yeah, they're they're bickering about what could possibly be wrong with Weber as Weber is telling them what's wrong. But neither of them are listening. By the end of all of this, we kind of... Weber confesses that, again, he's willing to make time for Ellis, but he's never made time for Adele. And the whole time that him and Adele have been separated, he's been taking time and seeing Ellis, and all Adele wants is him to retire so they can spend time together. He's realising all of his spare time doesn't go to his wife, and that's probably the, the problem, you know? And then Richard does something so fucking selfish. I can't believe, I knew I knew when we were going to look back on this, I was going to feel differently about Derek. I knew that that was coming. What I didn't see coming is how I feel about Chief Weber. I did not think I was going to rewatch this and have different feelings towards him, but fuck, he's making me so furious. He gets Meredith to come into his office to basically ask Meredith to break up with Ellis for him. He's putting Meredith in the middle of his relationship with her mother. 
That is not okay. Knowing full well because he's been told by all the nurses at her home and by Meredith, he is the only person who can make her happy and the only person who can make her eat and make her calm. And as you have pointed out and you've seen before I did, again, the only reason that Weber seems to want to be around Adele is acts of service. It's infuriating. And Ellis can't do any of that stuff. He needs stuff. Some of buttons. He needs someone to cook for him. Yeah. Ellis can't do that stuff for him. But he loves Ellis. He's completely and utterly in love with Ellis. But if he has to choose between the woman that's going to get his laundry done, the woman that's going to sew on buttons, he's, of course, going, going to go back to Ellis. Adele. He cannot. Oh, sorry, Adele. Because mm-hmm. he absolutely cannot get his life together if she's not there. Mm-hmm. And he cannot face up to his own decision. Yep. He cannot face up to it because he's a coward. So he asks Ellis's daughter to go and tell her that Richard will not be coming to visit her anymore. The only which makes Meredith the bearer of bad news when he knows that Meredith and Ellis have a horrible relationship. He knows that Ellis makes Meredith feel pretty shit about herself most of the time. He also knows that he is a large part of the reason they have a terrible relationship because Ellis would rather spend time with Richard than spend time with his daughter. She chose Richard. And I think this really, this whole conversation really puts a light bulb on for Addison as well because she realizes that Derek would happily make time for Meredith, but not for her. And after years and years of her, you know, just needing the littlest bit of attention. I'm still sitting here fuming about Chief. Absolutely fuming. Yeah, fuming. It's awful. But we should probably get to our wrap-ups now. My favourite of them is Uh Bailey kind of having that little voice in the back of her head of concern that she's missing out on too much of her son's life. So all of our wrap-ups play out to Bailey singing a lullaby to her son. It's beautiful. I want her to sing me that song. So it is the first time we hear any of our characters sing and it will not be the last time because, as we know, we have Tamsin's favourite episode to come. But holy shit, Chandra Wilson is an incredible singer and I think I think I should I think I should play a little bit of it. Them that's got shell get them that's not shell lose. So the Bible says and it still is new. We see Burke and Christina lying in bed together. Papa me. And we see Addison on a ferry boat. She's finally gotten the rings off. That's this beautiful scene, underscored by this song. She throws the rings out into the ocean. Oh, the strong get more while the weak ones fade. George knows. Empty pockets don't ever make the grave. She says, George knows. Mama may have, Papa he may have, but God Derek bless and the child. Back in the bar, being dull and lifeless. I may not be cut out for bright and shiny. I'm not either. We can be dull and lifeless together. How do they suddenly have so much time for long baths? I am glad you're in my bathtub. Crust of bread and such. Me too. You can help yourself, but don't take too much. No idea. It's huge. Papa may have. God bless the child. That's got his own voice. That's got his own. Probably one of the most delightful ends to an episode, especially after Meredith having to go back to that nursing home and tell her mother 
and watch her mother live through that anguish again of knowing that Weber chose Adele all over a fucking button. It's not Meredith's responsibility to fucking do this. Maybe just own up, apologise to Adele, get divorced, divorced, pay the bitch a whole lot of alimony for the rest of your life because you owe her that. You owe her spending money to be able to go and spend her life doing whatever makes her happy. Set her free. Holy shit. Find a man who really loves her, really wants to honour her and treasure her and do it on Weber's fucking dime. So we're going to leave you. I want to know if you're as furious at Chief Weber as we are. I am very proud of Addison for throwing the rings away. That's a pretty empowering, sad but empowering moment. Mm -hmm. It's hopeful because it's like, yeah, that part of her life is closed. Hopefully she can find someone better, find some joy, find someone that treats her well like a human. We still don't know the fate of George's dad. We have left Christina and Burke in bed very tense, a lot weighing on probably both of their minds. I'm excited. I'm excited for the next one. Thank you so much for listening. Please get in touch with us at our Instagram at Scalpels and Tequila and our personal Instagrams. I am at Misty Hayes. Ayla is Miss Ayla underscore Azua. Looking forward to chatting more next week. Bye. 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 Sing it. Bye. 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 Bye.